Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. November 28th, to be exact, 1 o'clock on the East Coast market call. Tough night in New York last night for the Rangers. But, Dan, let's take a look at today's rundown because we got a lot to discuss. The market's actually sort of interesting. Some some guy named Waller, not, it's not the giant tight end, made a comment about rate cuts coming. Well, we'll see. We had a podcast with Liz Ann Saunders last week that dropped in your favorite podcast store. She said, be careful what you wish for in the form of that. So we'll talk. Chart check. Or I'll check on aisle seven. Well, 10-year yields below 4.4. Good for Carter Braxton Worth. Good for you. X marks the spot on the crude chart. A lot going on there. And by the way, we'll throw a little gold for you. How are you, Dan? What guy, we might have in possession mm. a fact set chart. Probably one of the most interesting charts in the entire when i say market i mean markets i mean like 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 would think about throw stocks throw bonds throw commodities throw fixed income throw anything you want in there to me and it's one that you've been talking about that so that's a, just a tease right we're just going to tease that mm. right there cuz we're going to get to that um it's interesting you know waller and, and like you said um he's a fed governor he's not a he's not a new york uh football giant no he's um, not no, he's not. Okay. So you're saying careful what you wish for here on the rate cuts. So it's funny if you're a no landing sort of person or a soft landing folk, which the markets, the stock market at least is pricing in right now. Um, you feel like maybe the fed is just going to be able to lower interest rates because that's normal. Is it going down? Would that be normalizing interest rates guy after everything we've been through over the last 20 years? I'm just curious well, how you think. No, about that. Th I think you make a great point when you say that it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, but I'll yeah. answer it regardless. <laughs> Regardless, and say rates are, I think we are at normalized levels here. As a matter of fact, you can make an argument that we probably could go a couple sort of turns higher on the rate front and be at normal rates given everything that's going on. But, you know, I think we've gotten so conditioned to think somehow lower rates, and when I say lower, I mean meaningfully lower rates have normalized or are normalized. Therein lies the problem because I think the market's been conditioned for that. So, listen. I think they were late to the dance. I think they've been doing the right thing since November of 2021. I think they should stick to their guns. You know, although inflation is slowing in terms of the rate of growth, it is still growing, uh, you know, at a pace that's unacceptable, I think. And when you look at the cumulative effect, it's having an impact. And it's not just me saying that. Again, it's a swath of retailers saying that. Now, it's not just the retail sector, it's other industries as well. So, I, again, I'm hard pressed to understand the conditions that would necessitate or sort of warrant a rate cut next year, but I'm not a Fed governor either. 
No, you're, you're definitely not that. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the Rangers guys. So I walked out of the world's most famous. Yeah, that, was not, last that was not good. At, at 945 yeah. and the score was five to one. And I get home. I only live about 10 blocks from, from the Madison Square Garden. And I, I, I put the TV on, okay? And I see a football score that looked very similar to that Rangers. Score. It was six yeah. to three. It was six to three. This dumbass, I see, I, I open up the DraftKings app and I see... You know, it, it's in the got end of the third period, maybe or so. And I see the Bears that are up by three, six to three, and they're minus two and a half. So I put a mm. hundy on that. So mm. I put a hundy on that. I wake up this morning at 6 a.m. I look at the score and it's 12 to 10. I yeah. mean, it's 12. They didn't cover. I mean, how about that? OK, like like that's just a goofy sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But then I was saying to myself, because I don't know about you. And I, I actually think I know about you. You're not the Peyton and Eli. You're, when you're watching Monday Night Football, you're old school. You're watching it on the ESPN. You know, you're not watching it on the Deuce, right? But I was thinking no. about. This. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, I enjoy a Deuce at halftime, but I'm not watching it on the Deuce. <laughs> okay. On that note, um, you know this this kind of you know the markets are open. There's other programming going. I feel like we have a little Peyton and Eli thing, and I'm just uh, trying to figure out counter, who's counter who. Programming is what who's who. Who's who in this relationship? That's what well, I want to know. So and you can lay down. Just lay, lay by down age, by age only. Yeah, uh, I would. I would be Peyton, and you would be Eli. <laughs> I would imagine that's how it would work. But listen, and then we could bring in guests and stuff, which we typically do. And I think you know, you say that somewhat in jest, but yeah. there's a truth to it because I think what we've been trying to do, I think successfully over the last now almost three years, is bring business news, bring markets. In a way that's you know a little less, I don't know, frictionless, a little, intimidating. A intimidating. Yeah, there you go. And just a little more conversational. So anyway, that's where we are. But yeah. I'm with you on that. In terms of the conversation, though, again, you know, you saw the need to, and you know, we talked about this. And Doug Cass, who emails us every day and is probably watching now, and thank you, Doug. And we've discussed this. He discussed it in his note to us. But market structure is really fascinating. It's been fascinating, but seemingly more so each day. And again, I mentioned Pavlovian response, and I'll say it again. There was this Pavlovian response to those comments out of Waller, where the market all of a sudden had this knee-jerk reaction in terms of the S&P, and the market was off like a flash. I think at one point, not that it matters, but the Dow was up over 170 or so points. And I think as we're sitting here, it's flirting with unchanged. So when you have a market that seemingly devoid of interpretation of fundamentals and just as reliant upon, you know, various inputs. I think that's, I mean, this is me personally. I think that's some, and by, both on the upside and the downside, I think it's problematic. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it, it, it that'll be, you know, I, that's the, this is the 2024 story. I mean, the 2022 story was really taking out a lot of the excess that we had in the back half of 2020, 2021, that was induced by, you know, unusual situations as it relates to the pandemic, the monetary, the fiscal stimulus, right? The YOLO, all, all the stuff that went on in almost every risk asset market, right? And, and so we took out that excess and obviously priced in something pretty nasty for 2023 that didn't happen. And, and here we are. So we've talked about this kind of mirror opposite sort of 2022 to 2023. And, and you've talked about this a lot over the last, you know, me sitting next to you on fast money for the last 11 or 12 years is that, you know, when you're unwinding some of these very unnatural, right? Like, 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 like situations here that, that we've yet to see and on a scale 
that is just unimaginable, you know? And then when you think about how intertwined the global economy is and, and the like here, I mean, who knows what happens? And, and let me tell you something, you know, what we felt after the dot-com implosion in 2000, 2001, and 02, right? You know, a lot of folks thought that 2008 was going to go very different, right? And, and then it was off to the races, you know, come, you know, some point in early 2009. And, you know, so, so I guess my point is, is like, you know, like how this gets undone, who, mm-hmm. who the hell knows? And I, I'm with you, man. I, I, I see very few good scenarios for the economy or for risk assets if rates were to come in meaningfully below, you know what I mean? Like 4% or something like that in the near term. So, you know, you know that, that's my two cents. And I, I think I mentioned this on the radio show yesterday, but I'll mention it now. Um, you know, there's clearly, you know, having lived through a number of different cycles. I mean, as you said yesterday, I started in 86, so I was obviously on a trading desk in October of 87, and then subsequent years. 08, 09, though, is the one that obviously sticks out for a lot of people for a myriad of reasons. And I think there are probably, there is some sort of uh, PTSD or battle Mm -hmm. wounds associated with that. But it's not that, you know, I'm in fear of, you know, trying to relive that. My biggest concern all along has been and I've said this for years, I don't think we fixed the problems that created 0809. I just think we sort of moved them along. And in a lot of ways, they've been moved to the to the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, which yep. they're trying to unwind. And you just said what I believe for a while. It's very easy getting into positions. Yeah. It's very difficult getting out of them. And with that said, I will say this. They've done a very good job of navigating this entire thing, them being the Fed, but it ain't over yet. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay, let's look at the S&P 500 because to me, this one is kind of interesting. Look at the, the futures here, uh, the E-minis. Um, you know, you, you can see that that downtrend mm-hmm. has been in place from 4,800. You know, we can touch that 4,600 that we saw this summer, um, you know, the 12 or 11% rally off the intraday lows um, from mid-November is, is truly astounding, uh, the speed in which they rallied here. A bit of a moment of truth, um, you know, just for, on the charts, Guy, I mean, like, I think you and I can envision a world where the S&P in the not-so-distant future is easily back to those July highs, and, and then folks are going to be saying, okay, well, it's a clear shot back 200 points to, to 4,800, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, but this is one I kind of want to probe here a little bit in the S&P, guys. So, like, I'll just say to our folks, stay tuned. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking what, what a nice little option trade might be. Uh, futures, if you were going to, you know, 4574 right here, guy, let's say you want to take a crack at that. 4,600 ish might be a decent stop in the near term because again if it gets through there um you you might not want to be short the futures mm-hmm. thoughts yeah. thoughts on that because sometimes you know the way you talk about trading futures when you get to that resistance level if you are long of them you might want to add to the position at that point because a lot of folks like to take out stops at, at prior highs, that sort of thing. And then you get a good old fashioned short squeeze going uh, back at those levels. So that's why I'd probably want to use a pretty tight stop on this one. All right. So let's unravel this real quick. I, I think the high back in, I want to say July, if I'm not mistaken, I'll get you an exact, I think it was July 31st, was 46.07 ish, right? And obviously, CME day, we're looking at through the lens of uh, e mini futures. So we obviously had that big move to the downside. In the course of a month now, since October 27th, the S&P has rallied a little over 
mm-hmm. which is extraordinary. I mean, I think we would both agree. We're at that trend line. So in terms of a trade that you're probably setting up, um, again, understanding that we filled the gap, the, le- the last unfilled gap on the upside that Carter Worth talked about. You know, we filled that, I want to say, sometime last week, which I think is interesting. We're obviously at this downtrend. The trade is in futures to put on a short position here. In my opinion, the stop is above or right around those highs we made at the end of July. Mm-hmm. I think you're looking for a move down to the moving average, which is probably 4,300-ish. But I think subsequently you might, you know, if you were to breach that, you know, you obviously would get an extension. So that's how I would set up this trade. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And again, you know, because of the technical level, because of just, again, maybe a bit of exhaustion. And as we get towards month end in the next couple days, you know, you might see folks try to mark them up here a little bit. But, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, who knows here? Let's look at the NDX futures here, guy, because this one looks a little different to me. Okay, so here we go. We got back to those mm-hmm. July highs. And now we've been consolidating at that level. And And let's see if these guys can pull up um, a five-year chart a little bit showing the late 2021 highs. And again, you know, the, the NASDAQ 100 topped out before the S&P 500 right around the time the Fed indicated that they're going to start raising interest rates um, in early 2022. And we know what was going on there. So this one looks a little different to me, Guy. It, it looks like, again, we've, we've made a new 52-week high. And now we're consolidating, making a little bit of a flag. And we know what's driving the train here. You know, we know that Microsoft closes at new all-time highs mm-hmm. every day. If Apple were to get back on its horse and make a move back towards those highs, you know, Amazon's made new 52-week highs. Google joins the party again. You know, you, you see yourself not, you know, right back at, at those all-time highs. Now, we've come a long way at that point. What is the thing that breaks it out? Because we know that those top 10 stocks in the NASDAQ 100 make up 50% of the weight, you know, and Tim Seymour said this last night on Fast Money Guy. I don't know if you caught this. We didn't have time to really talk about it. How many strategists had come on the network last year, okay, when when the market was down, I think the S&P was down over 20% and the NASDAQ was down over 30% and said, hey, listen, you know, it's not going to be the prior leadership that leads you out of a bear market. And I know you and I took issue with that. We talked about it on our pods. We talked about, and we talked about it from a sheer weight standpoint, right? Because if you put banks and you put energy and you put industrials together, they just don't, they couldn't do it. Right. You know what I mean? So I thought that was really important from Tim. And he basically said that they're likely to lead on the downside too. So I don't know. I'm in that camp. Thoughts on that guy, because I think it's a really important point. uh, It's a very important point. Excuse me, that in order to have new leadership, in other words, in order for the baton to be passed to a new group of companies or a new sector or a number of different sectors, those sectors would somehow need to add up to the basically the sum of all the stocks we talk about seemingly every day. And the math just doesn't work. So to your point, it's a math problem. You have to have If you want the market to continue its trajectory, almost by definition, mathematically, you need past leadership to be, again, this new round of leadership. It has to be those same group of stocks. So there's, I guess there's a, there's a good news, bad news thing. So good news is they're definitely exhibiting that right now. The bad news is if they were to give it up for any reason, that becomes very obviously deleterious to the broader market. And I think that's what potentially on the verge of. They've all become their own asset class. Passive investing rules the day. Money flows into these stocks in the form of ETFs that they're all in. 
dozens and dozens of times. So regardless of fundamentals, as long as money flows, they're going to be fine. It's when the market gets scared and passive becomes active, what works on the way up works on the way down as well. And unfortunately, things go down faster than they go higher. Yeah. And and just going back to the use of stops, and and if you're trying to be a bit contrarian here, um, you know, one of the reasons why, let's just look at yields, you know, off those Waller comments, we saw what, 432 in the 10 year, um, you know, Carter Braxton Worth has been coming on, you know, market call and fast money for, I want to say the last two months or so, since we kind of topped out maybe a month ago at that 5% mark in the 10 year saying that he thinks we could get back to 4.2, maybe 4.1 um, in the 10 year. And he had a note out on worth charting today. Let's just kind of quickly go through it. You see it. You put the line in there. He's got his 4.18. That was a kind of breakout level from, you know, late August or so. You see the um, uptrend that he drew there on the next one. You know, we're breaking down here and you get it. Mm-hmm. So, guy, if we get back to 4.2, you know, that's probably how the NDX gets back to those prior highs mm-hmm. from 2021. And then who knows? You know what I mean? Because you and I have been talking about this market in the 10-year yield four at five. You know what I mean? Just as quickly as they came off five back towards four two or whatever we we end up, you know, stopping at in the near term, um, you know, it could it could bounce pretty significantly too. And we have a couple charts that show that maybe it will be bouncing. You know what I mean? Because it's, again, if inflation were to pick back up in 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 certain areas of the economy. Okay. A couple things. So it would have been it would have been very symmetrical and somewhat poetic if the gap in the SP to the upside that we filled last week at the simultaneously we were to have filled that gap we have in terms of yields on the downside. That would have lined up well, but things typically don't happen that way. But it doesn't mean we're not going to get there. So we're moving closer to that. And maybe if you're if you think yields are going higher, the best thing that can happen is we fill this gap. But you know, we've seen in the 10 minutes we've been doing this, I just got a note, as did you, Dan, from Peter Bookvar, and this seven-year auction that we just had wasn't particularly strong. And that comes on the heels of a two-year auction, it wasn't great, and a sort of a mixed five-year auction. So one of my concerns of the many concerns that I have is, again, in terms of bond auctions, I don't think they're going to go nearly as well as they need to go, which should be supportive of yields. And that's sort of the, you know, that's the environment that we find ourselves in. So to answer your question or to sort of, you know, elaborate on the point you made, yeah, I guess if yields continue to go lower, it will be supportive of those NASDAQ names. But there also will be sort of this point of diminishing marginal returns that we've talked about, Carter has as well, where rates start going too low, it's actually going to have a counter effect. Yeah. And, and you know, and let, let's pull up a TLT chart here for a second, because, um, you know, we were talking about the, the ETF the twenty that tracks the 20 year, um, you know, U.S. Treasury. And, you know, we talk about the correlation, obviously, to the 10 year. And, you know, back down there in October, it was really trying to find a, a bit of a bottom. And, and, you know, this was obviously when the 10 year was, you know, 5% um, or so. And, you know, that one, and we talked about it a lot and and I, I put, you know, a bullish options trade on, on this one. And, and like, it just seems like, you know, sometimes when everyone's going, you know, mm-hmm. the one way, you know, you want to go the other way. And if I look at this TLT chart guy, you see that gap from mid September. Right. And that was somewhere in that kind of 92 half 93 sort of level there. I mean, at that point, you maybe go the other way. You, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and, and that probably, you know, that probably lines up with four one five or something like that in the 10 year or so. So I just kind of wanted to make um, that point right there. Um, just real quickly, let's flash the, the CME, you know, fed funds tracker here up a little bit, because this is, 
pretty remarkable how, how quickly this shifted guy from, you know, the probability of a December 13th FOMC meeting rate hike right after the pause that we saw um, in September. And that was one of the things that caused that gap that we just talked about um, in the TLT. And, and now you see what's going on here. So these rate cuts are being pulled forward. And that just goes back to our conversation with Lizanne Saunders. Careful what you wish for. Again, the question, the bulls will say, and maybe they're going to be correct. Again, it's, it's, uh, there's no way of knowing, but they will say there'll be a Fed cut early next year, May, June-ish, yeah. because inflation is under control, right? Because, you know, basically maybe the unemployment rate ticked up a bit, but not all that much. And we can, to your earlier comment, we can get back to this normalization of rates. Rates are too high in this environment. We can start to cut. The bull case is they're going to stick the landing in a miraculous way. The other side of that equation is rate cuts because something broke along the way. And that's sort of the camp that I find myself in, that something's going to break that's going to necessitate rate cuts, not because things are going so, so, uh, so well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, I brought up the TLT chart and just, just to show that gap, um, it leads me to crude oil um, because it's interesting, you know, at its lows just a couple of weeks ago, crude was down, what, 24% from those kind of late September highs, right? And if you look at just how well-defined that downtrend has been, right, mm -hmm. a series of lower highs, a series of lower lows, you see the grinding that it did after a huge down day. What, what day was that? Um, it was the 15th or 16th I guy. I think it was, it was on the yields move day, but yes. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that huge move in yields, but I'd have yeah. to go back and look exactly. And, and if you just look at that, I mean, it's grinding. It's trying to kind of find a little bit of a bottom. And you look at like just how kind of, you know, nasty that downtrend is. And then I see this little bit of an uptrend, right? Like, and so that's our X marking the spot mm -hmm. here. And so I kind of say to myself, you know, if I'm looking at the futures here, this could set up using a pretty tight stop here, guy, okay? This is 76, 75 in the crude oil. We know that this OPEC plus, um, you know, they're contemplating, they pushed out that meeting, they're contemplating cuts, right? They'd like to see some cuts here, get this price uh, back up in, in the winter months here or so. So I'm thinking, you know, bullish of crude here, you buy it at 76, 75, your first target would be that kind of 80 level, but I want to mm -hmm. keep a pretty tight stop on this and maybe 75. And I'm not looking guy at like that prior low from the 15th, 16th. I'm looking at that kind of uptrend in a way, yeah. right? Because I want to like, literally, I think if there's a reason and you know, you know how crude trades, you know more about crude trading that, you know, you've forgotten more about it than I'll ever know. But when this thing, if it were to break that little bit of an uptrend, it's probably most likely going back towards those prior lows. And, and maybe we get back towards those June lows or something like that. So I want to keep a tight stop on it. Now, if I get this <laughs> thing, if it breaks that downtrend guy, I'm going to raise that stop, yep. you know what I mean, up a bit or whatever. And I'll probably try to play for like an 85 or something like that. How do you think this lines up? And what do you think is my technical take on this? And how are you thinking about when OPEC finally needs? All right, so let's go. Back. First of all, I like the trade obviously because I've I've been and I'll remain bullish, and that's been wrong. But it, you know, again, I think you're at a point in time now where things are starting to get interesting. I think it's actually really, in my opinion, bullish that they're delaying the meeting because I think what's happening is a couple of the OPEX plus nations are sort of pushing back mm -hmm. in terms of cuts. I think everybody will get on board. Is my sense, and that's the reason you're starting to see this delayed. Uh, maybe I'm looking at it entirely wrong, but we'll see. In terms of the trade, I think the levels are right. You definitely want to tight stop on the downside. There's no reason to be a hero here. We've been in a pretty defined downtrend for the last month, month and a half. 
But if you start to catch, you know, you catch this thing at the right time, you get long here, you look for a move, probably the moving average, $80 though makes sense. And you raise your stop along the way. And we've talked about trailing stops on this show a number of times. That's the right way to look at it. So I think you're going to get something out of OPEC plus that's going to be bullish for the prices is my sense. I think the fundamentals are still lined up for crude to be long. And I like this trade. All right. Uh, question here in the oil patch. Mm-hmm. Let's say crude gets itself above 80. Let's say it breaks to the upside of that downtrend, establishes a bit of a new range. Let's say kind of the narrative changes a little bit based on what we hear out of OPEC. And maybe there's some you know other dynamics at play here, geopolitical and the like. Um, what do you favor? XLE, large integrated or yeah. OIH? And let's flash up the XLE first. And we know that 40% of that is Exxon and Chevron, and they're both engaged mm-hmm. in what, over 120 or $30 billion of proposed M&A um, in the space. And I know our listeners know that we've been talking about that a bit. And I think, you know, who knows why they're doing what they're doing then. But, you know, if we look at this XLE, this thing's, look at the volatility bands, guy. how they've widened in and around this 200-day moving average over the last few weeks or so. It feels like it wants to make a move one way or the other. And obviously, if crude were to go higher, meaningfully above 80 80, then, you know, like kind of dragging the XLE up makes some sense. You also see, you also, I think part of this has been just the energy story itself. The other part of it's been, you know, as people flocking back to these high growth, high valuation stocks, mm-hmm. I think the thing that gets hurt sort of collateral damage has been the energy patch for whatever reason. I think there's a rotation aspect to this. So if the stars are aligning like we think, I think the XLE is interesting. What I think is more interesting potentially is the OIH only because, you know, you've seen we're at sort of the lower end of the range. You know, we've seen these bands, you know, we're sort of in this sort of 310. I don't know if we can pull an OIH chart, but sort of this 310 to 345 band for quite some time. There you go. And I think, you know, we're at support here. The same way we're in support in the XLE, we're support here in the OIH. So, you can see, as my eye sees it, you can see the downtrend from mid to early to mid-September that's probably in place. You know, you obviously see the port support in the form of the moving average. This one could get interesting if crude gets back on its horse. You know, it's funny, Guy, and I'm just going to kind of push back a little bit. And my eye sees much weaker support in the OIH than I do in the XLE. And and again, you know, like two stocks, Schlumberger and Halliburton mm-hmm. make up 30% of the weight of this. So it's similar in construction, if you will. But I look at, you know, we're talking about those bands and, and yes, there was those two, you can see those two days in the last couple, um, you know, few weeks or so where we had huge intraday ranges yeah. and they, they closed well and the stock, you know, the ETF is, is trading above the 200 day, uh, you know, so you could say, okay, it just feels a, a little bit more precarious, but yeah. again, that's no, fair, but this is also the beta trade relative to the XLE too. Right. And so I think um, so. That's yeah. my point. And listen, yeah. you know, that's, you know, we've both been doing this collectively a long time and you see one thing, I see the other thing and, and maybe it is sort of, again, the dogma sort of my belief system that sort of sways it one way or another, but, that's how you look at charts, and that's how yeah. you can make decisions based on it. But in terms of going back to your crude trade, you know, I think you have a tight stop, which makes sense. You have enough risk reward on the upside that it's sort of, I think, that warrants that tight stop. And I, I like the trade, especially if we're going to see continued weakness in the U.S. dollar. All right. Well, let's look at the dollar, the U.S. dollar index, the Dixie. Um Kind of interesting. We talked a little bit about it on the on the Fast Money last night on CNBC here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, like what do we have? We had, um, I, I think, you know, we're, we're in the throes of a 10% or so um, sell-off from the intraday highs in the U.S. dollar index. If you look at the DXY, um, I think there was a high of 114 or so. And just, you know, on any given year, I mean, that is a huge move, right, in a currency. Um, but in, a current, yeah. in the U.S. dollar, that is a huge yeah. move in this amount of time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and which which brings us to the gold. Um, you know, we talked about one of the, I think, the most interesting charts. If I didn't know what it's tracking, I didn't know what the underlying was or this or whatever. We have a 20 year log chart of gold futures here. I mean, look at this thing. And, you know, like that was a, a very, very long you know, bear market after those, those highs that we made right in, into the financial crisis mm -hmm. and, the, and, and the like here. Um, but if you just look at the flag that's making the retesting of those highs in and around that kind of 2000, 2100 level. And I know this is something you've been talking about almost every day for the last couple of years or so, and you've been buyer on any sort of weakness. And um, listen, <laughs> when it gets through there, man, I mean, like whatever the, whatever this security is like, you know, you want to buy this, right? I mean, like, like, like to me, um, and especially with the futures, and I know you've done it, you know, you can use some stops here probing that kind of technical resistance level. But I think you're of the mindset, once it does break through and establishes a new range, you're a buyer up there. You're not like looking to take profits at that point. I, I think so. And if they're new listeners or viewers to the show, I'll say this, and this is not going to make a lot of sense. I'll try to explain it as best I can. For a lot of institutions out there, for a lot of hedge funds, you know, gold is not on their radar screen. So they're not really involved. They might be collectively bullish, but their systems have not kicked in yet. It has not said, okay, now's the right time to buy gold. The way the world works these days is everybody's systems pretty much predicated on the same type of input. So there's going to be a point in time, and I think we're very close to it on the upside, where all these systems kick in at once and they create, okay, we have to go out and buy X amount of dollars of gold at these levels. And when all the systems kick in at once and the amount of dollars that I think are going to try to go through the entrance of the gold door, that the that market doesn't trade that way. This is not the this is not the currency market. This is not the bond market. This is not Apple or Microsoft or very liquid stocks. This is a gold market which cannot. I don't think handle the amount of liquidity that's going to find its way in. And I think that's when you're going to see this parabolic move to the upside. And I really do think we're close to it, Dan. Yeah. Well, uh, look, we're going to keep tracking it here on the market call. All right, guy, before we get out of here, <clears throat> I want to hit one single stock and it's Micron, um, mm -hmm. the, the DRAM maker here. And, and again, um, this is a stock that, you know, uh, it, it's been trading pretty well, um, you know, for the better part of this year. Just made a new 52-week high, um, you know, not long ago. It's up 51% or so on the year versus the SMH that's up 58%. We know that NVIDIA, which is up 230% or so, is a huge part of the SMH. But that consolidation, holding that 200-day moving average all year, really constructive chart, broken out, make it made a new range. And then today at an industry conference or a brokerage conference, they offer some guidance up. Okay, guy. And the stock, the knee jerk was down like 5% or so. So here yeah. we are, we're down 3%. And I'm wondering, you know, is this a theme that we're going to have with some of these off cycle reporting companies? Um, they are going to officially report the quarter on December 20th. So in three weeks or so, but some of the pre-announcement here that they gave, you know, investors were kind of selling first, asking questions later a little bit. And again, after the rally that the stock has had just over the last month and a half or so, if I'm a management 
And given the visibility that I've seen out of the end markets that I'm selling into, some of the geographic concerns and the like here, um, I, I'm being I'm giving cautious guidance. So like uh, you know, down two and a half percent today, guy, or down three. I guess it's about three percent now. Not so bad given no. the rally it's had and, and that. But I just wonder if we're going to start seeing increasingly more cautious guidance given the you know just all the volatility and in, in, in expectations for inflation for growth, and then obviously you know just some of the issues as it relates to kind of being able to kind of track your business in this volatile economic environment. So I think it was, I think it was about six years or so ago when Micron reported earnings and they announced a monster buyback. And I remember saying on the show, Fast Money that night, that historically Micron's been this very cyclical, very commoditized product company. But by them stating and them showing the, I guess, visibility or confidence to have that kind of buyback, maybe they were no longer this cyclical commoditized company. And that seemed to be right for a couple of weeks and it proved not to be right. What I think we've learned with Micron specifically, it's still a cyclical company. I think what people have forgotten about some of these other semi, well, some of these other companies in the semi space and in that world is as much as we'd like to say it's a secular growth story, it's still, these are still very cyclical companies and they're not trading that way in terms of valuation. So I'm getting a little bit away from Micron, I know, but to answer your question, yeah, I think we're going to start to hear more of that same type of language from other companies going forward. Yeah, I, I guess the other issue is, and, and you brought this up on many occasions, is the you know the commoditization of their actually you know the, the main underlying product, and so then you throw cyclicality in there, and it becomes um, a bit more difficult. One of the things for, for for Micron is that the valuation, rather relative to some of these growthier, more innovative areas, has always you know like basically you know looked very cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of folks you know feel comfortable owning this and maybe selling some of the less. Um, you know, some of the, the, the growthier, more expensive stuff when they think the cyclicality is going to kick in. So who knows? I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was pretty interesting on the single stock front. All right, guy, we covered a lot of ground here. One last question before we get out of here. If you're Peyton and I'm Eli, are you like jealous of my two Super Bowl wins mm-hmm. over the Patriots yeah. of New England versus yours for the Indianapolis Colts off of that, what, that horrible bear? I mean, that Bears team with Rex Grossman back in, what was that, 05, 06 or something like that. And then that win that uh, that, that that he had, Peyton had in, in Denver. You know, what was that, like eight years ago or something? Okay, like so to, to answer your question, you know, as the older brother, you're never jealous of your younger brother. So no, in no way would I be jealous of, okay. of you in this relationship. Okay, fair enough. Good answer. Yeah, that's a great answer. Okay, well, we did that. Um, That was fun. And if you watch, by the way, and I know you know this as well, but, you know, Peyton was obviously at his brother's Super Bowl games, and he wasn't trying to hide, but he also wasn't, you know, in the front row. And he was... Visibly excited, obviously, by not only his brother's success, but the Giants' success in both those games. And that was sincere and heartfelt. So there's obviously the older, younger brother dynamic going on there for sure. Matter of fact. All right, people, thanks so much for being here with us, guys. That was a lot of fun. I'm going to see you on the CNBC's Fast Money today at 5 o'clock. Oh, by the way, by the way, you just mentioned the radio show. 
We're done with the radio show. We enjoyed doing the radio show. Sirius mm-hmm. XM Business Channel 132 was a lot of fun for us, but we really enjoyed doing Market Call here. Guys in the studio a lot with me, which is also a lot of fun, but it works like this too, guy, doesn't it? You know what I mean? And it so does. we're going to do that on Mondays. The radio show was a lot of fun. The radio show might be um, brought back in some form capacity next year. Sirius was, it's, you know, Sirius is in terms of radio. I mean, they're the Yankees of the industry. And, you know, who knows what will happen? It's, it is a lot of fun and we'll see. But I think we're both happy to be back on Mondays and Market Call. And I think for a large swath of the folks out there, hopefully you're happy to have us back. Yep. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Thank to our sponsors, CME and the fact set, which is our data I provider fun here. C- I, saw, of course, yeah, I saw a fun CME commercial, <laughs> I think, during Monday Night Football last night. Oh, really? Was your, boy Lair- commercials. was your boy Lair- Laird Hamilton on I there? I love Laird Hamilton. No, it was something else. I mean, it's just like so good. Whoever does their work is like on. You know what I couldn't believe? So we were down at the CME, you know, the, the, uh, the their tour championship a couple weeks ago. A lot of our listeners know we did the, the market call from down there. And in our hotel room, we had these, these little tins of mints. And it had, uh, you know, the CME group on it. And it said, what would it say on the tin, guy? It's one it of your- where risk meets opportunity. Yeah. And, 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 and I said to you, we were on the plane on the way back and I pull out the mints and I said, how about this? He's like, I love those, but I left it in my hotel room. How did, yeah. how did you not walk out of there with the, where the risk beats opportunity mints? I mean, come on. I, I had a lot to carry, as yeah, you know, yeah. and you made me carry on my bag. I wasn't, yes, I did. Not that anybody cares, but I wasn't allowed to, as listen, as most people, I think, no, I checked my bags. I'm one of these people. I like to yeah. be unencumbered. But Dan made me carry on the plane on the way home because we were on a clock. So I tried to sort of, you know, keep what I had and leave what I had to leave behind. And one yeah, of those things the beauty of it, I don't even think I haven't mentioned this to you yet. But the beauty of it is when we were waiting in line to kind of board the plane and you were, you were just so pissed that you had your bag with it. And yeah. you were just anybody chatting you up. You were like, yeah, well, I don't usually take my bag. I mean, you were just making excuses. Yeah. So you and wanted I told, everyone some, to know. told yeah. some woman, I said, this should be illegal to carry yeah. bags on. Which I believe, by the way, that'll be for another podcast. And she had three bags with her, and yeah. you carried one of her she bags a, on. For she had her. a fr- well because she was pushing a. I think she had her mom or something in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, so I asked right. her if I could. I mean, you know, I yeah, try to nice. help out where I can. Yeah, all right, well, we should get out of here. But I all appreciate right. it. That was fun. All right, everyone, thanks for being here with us. Thanks to CME Group. Thanks to Fact Set. Thanks to our team. Thanks to you guys for listening. All right, thanks. We'll see you tomorrow.